on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio! Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. With me as ever are of course Callum Goodall and Jack Elderton, but... I am delighted to say that we are joined by the goalkeeper I pretended to be when I was younger. <laughs> an absolute childhood favourite of mine, honestly, the one and only Shaka Hislop. Good evening, Shaka. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing very well, Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, absolutely delighted to have you here. Obviously, uh, well, for me, a West Ham legend. These two, much, much younger. They won't remember the first spell. They'll have the second spell and we will get on to those West Ham races. It's nice to have someone here I can reminisce with rather than the kids I usually have beside me. Kind of. <laughs> we did an all-time West Ham XI the other day and neither of them even picked Joe Cole. And to me, that's a staple of the, the staple of it with Joey back in the day. And they've never even in. seen him. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know. Um... Well, yeah, it's 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 a big weekend ahead. Obviously, on football terms, we've got West Ham, Tottenham at the weekend. Big, big rivalry. But we've also um, got across the country this this national demonstration, this march that's been put together um, alongside the UN's kind of anti-racism day. It's the show racism, the red card in London. There's hopefully going to be a big, big presence of football fans there, Shaka. Yeah, it'd be nice to see football show up in, in its numbers um, in, in support of everything that uh, I believe the game has, has stood for, what Sydney stood for for me, everything that the game um, has represented, particularly over, over these last two years where we've had to have so many of these discussions around around racism in the sport, around racism in society. And um, ahead of the, the UN Day for Elimination of Racial Discrimination, I think it's a good opportunity for both fans to come together in a way that we that football fans don't normally do, I, I think fans are, are, are entitled to, to the partisanship of of supporting whichever club you want um, and everything that comes with being a football fan. But at the same time, um, once that final whistle goes, how we all have to share the same space, how we all have to recognize each other's uh, shared humanity, and, and I think it's important to, to show um, to show that 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 unity as well. It is important, isn't it? Because obviously tribalism in this country may be more than, more than any other, it feels like, at times. That tribalism is really, really... It's important to what we have in the game and it's got that passion and it makes those occasions, mm-hmm. these rivalries, so big. But we, it's about kind of that the end of those 90 minutes, remembering this is a game for everyone. And without those kind of shows of unity and with things like this, it's, it's not always proving to be that and we need to make sure it is. Uh, absolutely. And, and you're right. Um, that tribalism that you speak of is, is part and parcel of... of- of the game as part and parcel of sport. But I, I, I think, and, and there have been, there, there's any number of incidents you can show, whenever there is a, a bigger issue at play, how quickly people come, come together. Whenever um, they, they, there's a need for that unity, um, we, 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 we find that. We find that in us. And, and, and we, we don't recognize those, those divisions. I think at times football hasn't recognized that, that need for, for unity around around racism, around racial discrimination, around so many of the, the inequalities in today's society, because there's still an, an, um, an effort to protect that, that priority and, 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 and white supremacy in, in, in many regards. When I, I think um, football, uh, we as, as, as a community are at our best when, when, we, when we don't, when we, when we don't recognize and, and, and support those, to, to support those issues. And, and, I, and I say this, and football, I, I, I've always felt is the perfect vehicle for it. You know, where, where else can a young man like me sit in, a, sit, sit in a dressing room in England and play alongside players from literally, literally at all four corners of the earth? When we win, we go out and we celebrate together. When we lose, we go out to the training ground on a Monday and work to put it right. And that is regardless of, of, of race, regardless of religion, regardless of What's our, what's our first language? And I think that that speaks to the greater calling of, of our humanity, how we're able to put those differences, differences of culture, of language, um, aside in an effort to be the best team, in an effort to win football matches. 
and then and then um and and that speaks to the calling of of, of who we need to be in in our communities every single day um regardless of of what our neighbor looks like how we can work together to to make our communities uh, our, our countries better places you think that football and i mean this both fans and players in the game quite understand the power they can have for this kind of change do you think they've really embraced that yet or is actually they they don't really understand how powerful they are together uh no no they don't i i i'll, I'll add to that i i think many people don't recognize the power that they have as individuals mm-hmm. and i say that and i'll use sure recently red card as, as an example um we started this you know, this campaign on, on the back of 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 uh, a racist incident that I was victim of. And I just, in, in speaking to, to Shuresh and Red Cards, found and CEO, I mean, the, the, um, he was working with another organization at the time. Um, just how can we use that? How can we use that incident, that story, just to go into schools and speak to kids? You recognizing who I was as, as a footballer in Newcastle at the time, speaking to kids about, about that experience, about my own experiences, Growing up in Toronto, Tobago, over U.S. education, of, of sharing just rooms, just as, as as I as I described, and just making a, a better community. I, I never thought that we'd be talking about Shuri and the red card um, in in the teams that we are today. Some twenty six years on, eight hundred fifty thousand kids being through one of our one day workshops. That was never in our sights. It was just how can I give back to my community as somebody living in that community, as somebody. Um, working in that community, albeit as, as a footballer, uh, and and that that speaks to the power of the individual and and the the power of of the game when when we come together to to look at, at those messages, to to look at those lessons, um, and and how we can how we can learn from them. That was, it was kind of back in 1996. I think I think I read correctly. It was a a 50 pound check, and suddenly everything kind of changed there. But do you, do you what do you kind of think of and see? As players are getting braver, well, not so much braver. I suppose it is a level of bravery these days to speak up, put their heads up when you know football players are, are targets all the time. Is it is it helping? I suppose those influential figures doing this work so often, just even if it's in interviews, it, it, it is. And um, the old cliche: if it can change one person, and then, then, uh, that work is, is worthwhile. Um, I, I think it's it's you're right, and it's important to recognise. How players have have embraced um, their positions and and embraced what's what's asked of them in, in in today's game. We've during the course of of, of the last year, our twenty fifth anniversary, we're doing a series of podcasts called Twenty Five for Twenty Five, where I speak to people across across football, across sports, about their own experiences, and it's it's um was enlightening to me to speak to people like Luther Blissett and Vivanderson and about their own experiences. And when they were coming through, how it was important for them just to keep playing, despite the racism that they were subject to every single time they stepped onto the field, from both away and home fans. But it was important for them just to step out onto the field and keep performing in an effort to provide that opportunity for the next kid of color coming coming along. We've moved from that to where we are now where you have the likes of Raheem Sterling, of, of Marcus Rashford, who are speaking up as loudly as, as they are. Single time now. And I think you've seen the progression of how sport activism has, has come into our parlance. It, it's come into our, our game. And players are recognizing that, that responsibility. That responsibility, not just to the next generation of players, but that responsibility to the Luther Blissetts and the Vivandersons and the Laurie Cunninghams of, of, of yesterday and how much they had to endure to provide opportunities for players like me, for players like Raheem and Marcus Rashford. We, we, we kind of, we, uh, we run so they could, we, we walk so we could run with the likes of, I mean, yes. at West Ham you had Clyde Best and he was senior, yes. those kind of names there. And that's fed into, I guess, now we see the gesture at the start of these games, the Premier League and across the world. And what, what do you think the importance is of the kind of the taking the knee before the game in terms of what is having an effect on society as a whole, I guess? I, I think it serves a, a, a couple of roles in that it's one way for us to show who we are and what we stand for. 
in in taking the knee and in, in recognizing recognizing each other and and what we're what we're a part of that we we're not alone in in how we feel and that we are there to support and it's a, it's a gesture of support for not just the players but for the call for for racial equality in in our in our societies um i also think that it's a promise it's a promise that if i take the knee if i applaud players when they take the knee when they get up that we are all going to do something more in in moving those issues forward in closing the gap between the experiences of people of all colors of people of all races of all religions so it's it's a show of support it's also a promise it's it's also a vow to to stand up and make a difference ultimately that is is what is going to be defining around around the gesture of taking the knee because i i understand the concern i understand the concern expressed by players like wilfred zaha uh of play, of of teams such as such as qpr i had the opportunity to speak to les freeman who is the only director of football of color in 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 all 92 clubs in, in in the football league and qpr as a team stopped taking the knee i understand that um but my my counter to them is that the gesture in itself is not what changes we have to see it as a promise that when we stand up we we are going to to do more we are going to do more than than we had done yesterday so back back kind of long ago and i'm thinking kind of i think it was under my skin that john barnes book which was kind of almost seminal at the time mm-hmm. as a work of 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 uh, literary work that kind of went out there and spoke about these issues but obviously the 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 avenue for racism has almost just changed quite a lot in the way we see it in english football now whereas before the stands were kind of where we got all our reaction the stands mm-hmm. the fans there were important now we we have the issues of social media that is, is, is kind of different it, it almost means there is no escape for players as yeah. well how do we how do we combat that? I can understand going into schools, and that's so powerful and so useful, especially as a teacher myself. Um, that's the kind of thing you want to see. But when you have adults who are doing these things and they're doing it under a kind of a spectre of anonymity, how yeah, how yeah. can you reach them and educate them? Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not trying to reach them and educate them. I'm not trying to change them. I I I, I, I don't think that is or should be our focus. Um, I, I will say though that as far as social media goes, social media companies have a greater responsibility to what happens on their platforms and how they how they support the enforcing of 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 laws um, as as they're broken on 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 on, the, on their platforms. And and I say this, I, I did a I did a, a Zoom call with um, a police officer who's the head of the the. Race hate crime division in um in in the Metropolitan Police there there in 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 London. He made the point that um, pursuing somebody who posted something particularly distasteful on social media, they wrote to Twitter evidence of of the tweet to to shape their case. Now there's a the statute of limitations in in filing charges. Is six months, as, as the law is written in, in England. Twitter didn't respond for five months, and this is Twitter. Twitter re- taking five months to respond to the Metropolitan. This is not me writing for my account. This is Twitter responding to the Metropolitan Police, taking five months. So, as a result, even law enforcement are being hampered by Twitter's internal controls. So why we we sit here and talk about well maybe you know we could use AI to stamp out a, a lot of the uh, a, a lot of what's said and and um, a lot of the language whether it's emojis or, or otherwise the, the Twitter are feeling in their most basic responsibility to policing to policing their platforms that has to address and I think we have to address that before we even start talking about AI and, and how that can be used uh, and. And, and fines imposed by 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 governments, etc. The most basic we, we are still, or, or Twitter is still struggling with. That has that that needs to be addressed. Um, and I, I say that because talk about laws um, and how I'll use, I'll use an example. Um, 
I, I use Newcastle University as, as, as an example. Newcastle University are the only university to give Martin Luther King an honorary degree, only university outside of the U.S., to give Martin Luther King an honorary degree while he was still alive. I watched his, I, I watched his speech in receiving, in receiving that award. And he said then that I, I, can't, I'm not, I can't ask, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher exactly what he said here, I'm not asking. I'm not asking the legislation um, to change to make a man love me, but I can ask him to stop lynching me. And I think that's important. And it raised a little bit of a laugh. As I say, go back and look and see exactly what he said. It raised a little bit of a laugh in 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 the hall. But I think it was it was it was important because I'm a firm believer in enforced legislation. Everybody talks about legislation. It has to be enforced legislation. I think enforced legislation changes behaviors. Behavior changes cultures. And while it, it's a it's a long-term prospect, I think that's why it's needed. So the person who is racist message messages to me now, if legislation comes in, it doesn't change him. It doesn't change that person and how he feels about me and what he may want to say to me if he's afforded anonymity. But it does change growing up opposed to on social media. It does change kids' ideas of what's acceptable and not acceptable behavior. And as a result, when they grow up, they won't need the legislation to direct on social media, what they say at the workplace. And I think those, those, are, those, those are, are the issues as they pertain to today. And I, I, I say that straight Chris, everything, when, whenever we talk about racism and the elimination of it, I always take a long-term view. I, I am not focused on what can I do now to, so that somebody won't tweet a racist message on, on Saturday. That, that, that would be, I, I, I think there are places for that and there are things we can do that. But I, I'm, I'm given who we are, given Show Recently Red Card, an education charity who work with young kids, all our view is how can we make the greatest impact to this youngest generation? How can we change what they do, how they see things, how we shape their world in a way that, that's more, more inclusive? If, if we if we look at that, if we kind of take football, sometimes they, people call it like a snapshot of society, won't they? They kind of, you know, every, these normal people go to football. You're not professional football fans. Um, if you're making that a space that's kind of safer and more free and more more equal, does that do you think then reflect out into the world? If we're showing that maybe the nation's most passionate uh, pastime is for everyone, yeah. do you think that spreads the message? Uh, absolutely. I, I think football is the perfect vehicle for it. And listen, I'm biased. I'm a former footballer. Um, I, I, still, I still love the game. Yeah. I, I, but I also hear the, the, the concern that, well, racism is a societal problem, not a football problem. But I, I, as, I, as I mentioned before, I think football is the perfect vehicle for it. Where else do you recognize diversity uh, um, that, that, that football, if not sport, uh, offers. Where else do you get those lessons around we're better when we work together, regardless of how we identify, regardless of how we worship? Um, there, there, there's, there's no better place for it. And then given, given the standing of football in particular, and again, it, it, you can apply this to any sport, in today's society, it's, it's, the, it's the perfect vehicle for, for, for anti-racism and and for that continued equality, is the perfect is the perfect example for how better together, regardless of of our differences, cultural, ethnic, religion, language, we are better when we focus what brings us together on our similarities. That's, I mean, that's such a pertinent point ahead of kind of talking about the rivalries again in football. And obviously, again, as we said, it's that day before the West Ham Tottenham game for us. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you say? Kind of, do you think it's the importance of not only all football fans coming together and people across the country joining this demo, but also these people doing it, maybe mixing 
with other fan groups. It would be, uh, the power of seeing maybe a West Ham shirt next to a Millwall shirt next to a Tottenham shirt, mm-hmm. a, a Newcastle shirt next to a Sunderland shirt, for example. I, I think that that is incredibly powerful, and just just in terms of of, of the visual. And and listen, while while I understand rivalries and, and the heated nature of them, and and how um, how how they've played in, into into sport in the past, um, how how they benefited sport in the past, I also recognise derby, Liverpool and Everton fans sitting you know next to each other, and how powerful that is. Just in terms of, of an image, and and that and this is just in footballing terms. This is just in footballing terms. How powerful that is, and now we take that imagery. Now we take the power of that unity of us, different sides, but then standing next to each other um, outside of the game, and and put that into into this march that that that's coming up, into un- understanding as as I as I said. That, that sends the young kids of today, of that next generation, that regardless of who we cheer for, we stand next to each, we stand shoulder to shoulder on the serious issues of the day. It doesn't mean that if West Ham went 2-1, West Ham fans don't goad Spurs fans all week long, all year long, till, it, till the West Ham Spurs meet again. That doesn't change. That doesn't change. But on the serious issues of the day, we stand shoulder to shoulder. Perfect. I mean, I've just realised I've I've taken the last twenty minutes speaking without letting any of the other two get in. So I will pass to I'll pass to Jack. So it's not just me here. Those two are watching me do as I do. Well, I just I, I just think there's a couple of things to say, and and Shaka's covered it brilliantly. But but with Saturday, and I think it's so powerful that we have Spurs at the weekend. And it's come at the same time, mm. really, because we've had so many um, issues with with racism and anti-Semitism around the Spurs games. And I think the image of, mm. of West Ham fans and Spurs fans together on on the Saturday would be really really powerful. What Cardiff and Swansea have achieved um, over yes. the last couple of years together with the um, rivals on the pitch, United against racism um, campaigns around those. Two clubs has been amazing um, around mm-hmm. that rivalry and how those fans have got together um, to be united on, on bigger issues and mm-hmm. um, as Shaka said it's so important that we're able to be united for, for those moments where we can come together we saw it over the summer with the England lads and, and Marcus Rashford and what happened in Manchester yes. how people came together um, despite uh, local rivalries over b- bigger issues but then are able to return on the Sunday to being in different ends of the ground and, and celebrating hopefully a West Ham win mm-hmm. or for Spurs fans celebrating a, a, a classic Harry Kane last minute penalty as we've experienced <laughs> several times <laughs> whatever it is I think you know it's important that we recognise that we're able to to be passionate in that way on the Sunday but passionate mm-hmm. in a different way um, and a much more powerful way on, on the Saturday as well. Yeah, I think the unity is such a kind of the important word in this because mm. it's 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 welcoming as well, isn't it? And I guess it's about making sure the English game doesn't go in the wrong direction. We've had history in the past as a as a as a footballing nation of things maybe well not maybe at all, actually taking kind of nastier turns. And mm. it's I suppose it's rare, it's it feels rare if you look at the history of this country as well to see football fans coming together to be positive to make a difference rather than maybe at a time where my journalists and everyone else was desperate to cover football fans as being a negative on the back pages. Yeah. And I, I think that again, kind of speaks to the evolution of the game, you know, and, and you can point to, to, to some simple things like was it the Taylor report that had called for, for more, more seating in stadiums and how stadiums have become uh, more, more, um, women friendly, more family friendly, um, and and while many challenged back back then, how it'll impact the game, and 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 largely for those who kind of benefited from 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 those divisions, were only too eager to say that it would damage the game. But now here you have a sport that's kind of evolved um, with, with, with the times and in a, in a far stronger position than than it was. When I was playing, you know, 20, 25, 25 years ago. And it, it speaks to that, that continued power of, of football as an example. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, as, as, as Jack was saying, um, there, there are still so many issues that, the, that still happen within football stadiums. Uh, the game can still be so much better. But 
I always describe myself as a glass half full kind of guy. While there, yes, there, there's, there's a lot to complain about, a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot to boast of. Um, and and there's, there, a lot of progress has been made. There's still a lot of progress to go. A lot has been made. And, and that, that will be, that will always be my focus. That, that's, that will always be what I see. And I, I, I think change is, is one of the more difficult and more scary things to, to fully embrace. A few people are, a few people champion it and champion big change um, and see the big picture of, of what it can be. But it doesn't change that for the vast majority of us. Change is still a little bit scary. But if you can say to someone, look at how the game has grown in the last 20 years with football just embracing female fans, embracing young kids as fans. Look at where the game is today to where it, was, where it is 20 years ago. Just imagine, just imagine if we continue thinking progressively where we'll be in, in, in 20 years' time. And, and not, not just where we'll be, but look at the gap England and some of the other nations that haven't taken on some, some of those more views um, around, just around, just around football fandom. Look at how the gap continues to grow. So while, while England, English football still has its issues, I think it's, it's addressing a small portion of them. They have put measurable distance between themselves and those who haven't. So just imagine for a moment if football took on um, it's, uh, an even greater responsibility in addressing so many of these societal issues. Yeah, I think for me, sorry, j- just to jump in, as a, speaking as a West Ham fan, I think that um, the progress we've made is, a, is immense, you know, from, yeah. from, from what my father experienced, feeling nervous to wear a badge um, as, as an mm-hmm. anti-racist at a, a football match going away with West Ham to me experiencing some of the greatest unity I've felt as a, as a football fan, um, standing mm-hmm. it and clapping players, taking the knee as an away fan um, with fans all around me all joining in and standing in clapping as well um it's huge huge amount of progress and and um it's a privilege for me to be able to grow up in a time where that kind of progress has happened and I can feel yeah I I can go to the game and 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 there are lots of women around me standing in the standing section and and can celebrated um and part of the, the the discussion it's not you know it's not abnormal now uh, when I first started going to, to West Ham as a, as a away fan at about eight or nine years old it was much rarer to see lots of women mm. in the away end at West Ham and now there's loads of uh, match going away supporting West Ham fans and that's a, a, a amazing some just some of the progress we've had over the last 10 years that I've been going to games so I totally agree with what you're saying that if you map that kind of progress forward for the next 10-15 years where will we be then? But- you're absolutely right, Jack. And I think a lot of people kind of, we, we see, you, you know, you hear these stories of, of, you know, John Barnes and the throwing of the banana and um, stuff like that. And, and especially for, for a younger generation, a younger fan base, it feels like so long ago, you know. And, and to your point, Jack, of, of you going to, to be, being comfortable, going to, to football games. Um, when my, my wife and I got married summer of 1995. I joined Newcastle a few months after, after we got married. Um, home games, Newcastle would, would have a box on for, for the wives and girlfriends and, and, and families. Um, we, we didn't start a family for a year or so after, after I joined, but my wife would go to away games. And when she went to away games, she'd be with the, fa- with, with, with the Newcastle fans, with the traveling fans. And I was never comfortable with it. I, I knew of, of some of the things that were being said to me as a player on the pitch. And I could only imagine my wife being in amongst that and not separated from these people who are, who are shouting racist abuse all game long. But how do I know? How do I, as, 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 you know, a, a young husband, I'm, I'm in the first year or two of, of marriage, say to my wife, I don't want you to go to away games. You know, that, that, she she just wants to come and support her husband. And I appreciate, I, I I want her to be there. I want her to do that. But I am desperately nervous. And, and until I hear from her, and, and again, this might put things into, into a greater perspective for, for a, a younger audience. 
mobile phones were they were a thing, but they weren't um, they, they weren't as 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 prevalent as they are today. So you couldn't get a signal, and calls were expensive. And, but until I could hear from until I could hear from my wife, I, when I was sitting in um, text messages, weren't a thing. You know, I, if I'm sitting in dress room, I have to wait until I'm sitting on the bus. You know, after we after the post game team talk and everybody shouts, and then you go to the play. so it's an hour or two after until I'm on the bus and I can hear from my wife before I feel comfortable in knowing that that she's all right. You know that that's the, that's the difference. So when I so now, you know when when we talk about how football has become more embracing of 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 a, of a wider of a wider footballing audience, it's very personal to me for 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 a lot for, for a lot of those reasons. Um, so I, I I continue to applaud what the game has has become. Uh, Cal, I've, I've not given you a chance yet either, so I'll let you fire one on. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, to be honest, the, the one stat that stuck with me throughout is, uh, Shaka, when you were talking earlier about um, Les Ferdinand and his role at QPR, and I just thought, obviously, we've got a lot of uh, idols now or on the pitch, uh, players mm. of colour that people have grown up idolising. I know Chris mentioned you earlier. I think for me, it was the likes of Marlon Harewood and then later on, mm-hmm. Ricardo Vaste and players like that. So um, and, and now the, the new generation, obviously looking up to the likes of Sancho and Rashford, like we said. But I just wondered if you think maybe one step uh, for progression that we need to take is behind the scenes as well. I think it's yeah. working in a charity myself. Um, I'm very much conscious, especially when recruiting and the importance of having people that look like you when you walk into a boardroom setting and stuff just to make mm-hmm. people feel comfortable. And I think it's quite staggering to think that in 2022, there is only one uh black executive uh, in the whole of yeah. the football league and, and it extends to managers as well and, and general coaching staff. Um, and I just wondered what your thoughts uh, are on that and, and what steps, if any, you think could be taken to sort of move us in the right direction. Uh, I, absolutely. I, I think that's an, that's an absolute must to, that, that we recognise greater diversity in, in, in so many other um, departments within football. And, and uh, coaching has been, has been a discussion for quite some time, but, you know, as, as you mentioned, and, 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 I, and I spoke of Les Ferdinand being the only director of football of color in, in all 92 clubs. I, I think that there's also um, another dynamic to that. Uh, I, I spoke to Les as, as part of where those 25 for 25 podcasts mm-hmm. that I've mentioned. And I, I referenced an interview that Ian Wright did that he said Ian, that, that uh, Les had to be exceptional for there to be another for there to be another director of football of color. And I, I think that kind of, again, speaks to, and speaks to white privilege. And, and I say that because I don't understand, but I know of the, of the response that white privilege has with a number of people. Um, Les makes a point, and, and I, I asked Les about it, if that's how he saw it, and, and he was frank, yes. That, that's exactly how, how he sees it, because he recognizes that if there's a failure in the other 91, 91 director of, uh, directors of football, if half of them are abject failures, there's no question in his mind that they, uh, another 45 white men will be given opportunities to be director of football. If Les is director of football, Everybody will point to Les as, as an example or that failure as an example uh, and say, well, you see, we can't have these ex-footballers, these ex-black footballers as directors of, of, of football. And that's, that's an unfortunate um, circumstance that we find ourselves in. Les has to somehow embrace because he recognizes um, what he represents. So, so there's that dynamic to it. There's that dynamic to increasing diversity that even when people are fully qualified, they still have they still have this um, need to be exceptional. And 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 I, I don't use exceptional slightly. The calling for Les is not to be good. It's not to be average. Les has to be exceptional for somebody else to be afforded that same opportunity that 91 other white male directors of football uh, are, are given. You can apply that across the board in every single capacity, whether we're talking coaching, 
and and Callum to 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 your point um, around uh, in 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 boardrooms around football club. I I don't feel football will deliver on on its promise until those boardrooms look like their fan bases. That for me is is, is how I'll define success. Until a boardroom accurately reflects the diversity of your football fan base, I think you're feeling that footballing fan base or you're feeling a certain section or sections of, of your footballing fan base. And that has to be the core. But now the, the challenge to that is, given the structure of the game, right? And I'll contrast that with the Bundesliga. Given the, given, given the, the structure of the English game where you have wealthy owners, private ownership, how do you tell this private owner that you have to have this person, that person, this, this, this level of diversity? That is something that they have to volunteer to do. Um, as I said, you contrast that with, with the Bundesliga where they have the 50 plus one rule where 50% of the club plus one is owned by the fan base. So you, you can call on, that fan base can call on, on the club to more ac- accurately represent them. Um, that that that's a uh, that's challenge in moving, you know, in, in moving how football is structured. But all we can do is, is continue to to advocate for it and and hope that ownerships, wealthy uh, ownerships, um, take heed. And I'll, before I move on and ask a few West Ham questions, because. We can't resist. Um, I, I was, I was intrigued. We were talking about, obviously, we we're talking about the past and a long. Not, it wasn't black and white back then, Jack. Cow. We, when we had photos, we could still see in color. It was fine. Um, <laughs> for, for a lot of people, and I think a lot of, possibly a lot of older fans as well, they will think back to what was maybe a more visceral and out there reaction to things, and maybe something that they feel is consigned to the past. They feel is improved, and I mean. It's 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 gone ridiculous, really. If you consider the repetitive incidents we have in the game, mm-hmm. it's not it's not oh, it's twenty years since someone threw a banana. It's two or three years since an Arsenal game. I think that these yeah, people yeah. are forgetting. And how do we? And and I say we as kind of us as well as normal fans who have to who want to or feel a, they, there should be a way to challenge these things. How do we kind of reach these people who think, well, it's got better, it's okay? Or, um, I, the the greatest challenge progress is complacency. The, the, I, I have, in the 26 years, um, or let me say this, in 24 years of Shuri's and the Red Card, the question I was asked most in interviews I've done is, is there still a need for organizations such as ours? And then 2020 happened. And now the question is, Will there still be a need for for Shuris in the red card in twenty five years? Um, and 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 I say that because as soon as we become complacent in who we are, as soon as we become accepting of the progress that we've made, without the progress that still that that is still needed, we find ourselves back where we were, having the same discussions that we did. Be it 2020 or 1970, and that—that's progress is fragile. And from the time we start caring for it, from this time we we stop working towards um, better communities, um, we find ourselves taking huge steps backward. Um, and that, for me, um, that for me is is how how you how you. How you speak to a younger generation about what needs to be done, because we've we are living through exactly what a complacency around going from throwing bananas um, was in, in in today's game. But it's it's a stark reminder that for every progress step you can make forward, there's always a chance for you to be forced backwards as well, and if you mm stop striving to step forward you will and you will be kind of left behind regardless and things will that's right go with complacency or or whatever really um so we have the march it's on saturday um in london portland place for you assembling at 12 noon london 
W1A. I had to write the one out in words, so I didn't get that very confused. Um, that's the hardest part of this whole thing was trying to say a postcode, which really says something about how I deliver my, my presenting. Um, I suppose before we go on to West Ham, we should really have a, a kind of a, a, a summarised maybe message of why it's so important, I guess, if that could be done uh, quickly after a 40-minute chat. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think we have to recognise we have to recognise how much better we are when when we when we stand shoulder to shoulder. We we have to recognise. Um, I think our, our greatest calling as members of any community is to give voice to those who are otherwise voiceless within that community. And in a bigger picture, uh, there is no greater calling of our humanity than to plant that seed. That someone, someone for someone else to live under that tree shade, and that's what we're being asked of today. That's what we've been asked of uh, of the last two years. While we may never live, you and I may never live in a in a in a, in a society that is completely equal. Our our most noble calling is to work towards having someone in not too distant a future enjoy that that equality that, that we strive for. We have Shaka Hislop on the KUMB West Ham podcast today, ahead of the UN Anti-Racism Day and Stand Up to Racism's national demonstration against racism. We want to encourage West Ham fans to go along and join the Football Fans Block as we assemble at Portland Place W1A at 12 noon. The Football Fans Block will be meeting at the Cock Tavern at Great Portland Street. Please do wear scarves, shirts, badges, etc. as we show that the football community is united in the fight against racism. Perfectly poetically and powerfully uh, put. And I, I, I won't be able to better it myself, so I won't try. Um, <laughs> whilst we've got you, obviously it would be it would be foolish of me not to try and get in some West Ham questions. It's 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 hard not to when you, you follow a comment. I mean, the, the, two, the two younger ones here will know that one of the more painful memories of my life is that FA Cup final and that late, late goal. And I will get there eventually, but I can't talk about it for too long. It, it, it cost me too much money in the end. The more I think Preceded, about it. of course. Preceded, of course, if I interject, Chris, because the last game of that league, league season was Spurs and Lasagna game. That was, yes. And I, I do remember the game. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a game I was there for in history as well. Um, yeah, Christ, that's that's a memory. That's a, that's a fun one to bring up, isn't it? Um, um, I, I suppose before we kind of go into a bit of history, I mean, how good are how good are West Ham right now? Basically, in, in, incredible. I, I mean, it really is a, a joy to watch. You know, um, and listen, I like most, or well, like all long-suffering West Ham fans, kind of endured the pains of relegation, endured the, the pains of relegation battles, and now to be living on the other side <laughs> of, of, of those pains. At least now the pains are, will we finish top four? Will we get into the European? That, that's that's a, a pain we can deal with. Yeah. That's a pain we can deal with a whole lot easier. But it, it's great to, to be having those discussions. It's great to, to, see, to see West Ham play as, as well as they are. And for, I have to say, full credit to David Moyes. And, and, and let me see, let me, let me just put it out there on the table. I was one of those that criticised his appointment. The second time of asking. I, 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 I did. I wish I could say, sit here and tell you otherwise. And yeah, I saw this coming. I knew what I tried to tell you. <laughs> no, I was, I was critical. And now I take every opportunity I can to apologize to David Moyes because what we have been treated to over the last couple of seasons has been absolutely fantastic. It's great going into games re- believing that you're going to win. And, and, and I say that in contrast to going into games hoping you're going to win. Now, you may win or lose. We may still lose. Great going into games. Just really thinking you, 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 you're going to win. And uh, again, credit to David Moyes and, and the job that he continues to do. It's, there's something quite different about leaving a game and you're disappointed you've lost and then you think, oh, we're sixth. And with years gone past, you'd be desperate to be 16th. So yeah, exactly, you've got, to be six I, I, bottom. You're just hoping to be six bottom. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right? you, and you've you've uh, certainly, for a, a case of picking your clubs that are real boom and bust up and down, 
kind of go from tragedy <laughs> to triumph. Newcastle and West Ham in there together. I mean, it must have aged you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not easy. It's, it, it, it's kept my heart. Let's say it kept my heart racing. So maybe it kept me young in a certain sense as well. <laughs> yeah, you're always fit because of the anxiety. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you might not remember Shaka, a, a hammer of the year in your first season, if I remember correctly as well. So you, that's right. you, you came with some glory. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Man, and we finished fifth that season. Um, and yes, yeah, so I was I was hammer of the year that season and, and proudly so. It was... That, that was a good team. That was fun. That was a good team as well. That, that was a that lot was, of fun. Uh, that was a good team. And under, I mean, I, I, what I'd say was a quite unique character in Harry Redknapp as well. What's it like working with Harry? But it was a dress room full of unique characters. <laughs> yes. So I, I don't know how that applies. We're talking Harry Redknapp. Paolo Di Canio. Hello. Right. Razor Rudder. Hartson. John Monkel. I mean, the list just kept going on and on. It, it, it was it was so much fun to be a part of. And then, of course, you had the upcoming talents, Rio, Frank Lampard. We could call on, on Joe Cole. It, it really was an incredible, incredible gesture to, to be a part of. that You can predict maybe Paolo when he's in one of his moves, one of his stops. You possibly, you can oh, yeah. see it. I would imagine with Razor and John Munker, and Munker especially in my head, they must have been unpredictable is, is a kindest word, I guess I can think of. Yeah. Well, Monks is predictable in that every time he come on, the crowd would go up and just start cheering until he got booked. I've never yeah. seen anything like that. Well, you, me and my dad, as, as a kid, I'd say, me, we used to count how long is it going to take for Monks yeah, to get exactly, booked. Exactly, right? Yeah. The fans were all excited, like, oh, he's going to get booked. And only when he got booked, then the fans were very fast. Like, all right, we, we good now, we good. I, I mean, it was, so it was predictable in, in, in that sense. Um, mm. um, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed playing playing under Razor, and he brought real personality to that dressing room. Him and him and Ian Wright brought real personality to that dressing room. Uh, I think it was Razor who who was the first one to bring the boombox, and uh, the pre pre game music was Elvis. If we won, Elvis would come on. <laughs> if we didn't, uh, who knows what we play? But Elvis was that was our music of choice. I mean, all, all that was Razor. And then you write about Paolo Di Canio. I mean. You go from I played in a in a we beat Plymouth in a preseason friendly six one, and Paolo was throwing bottles in the dressing room after the game. A preseason <laughs> friendly that we won six one, Paolo is throwing an absolute fit after the game. I was also on the field when Paolo didn't get a penalty. Radford insisted that he got that he gets substituted. Sat on the half line for about five minutes. Harry refused to substitute him. So we running around with 10 players and Paolo just sitting <laughs> on the field. I mean, honestly, you, you couldn't make this up. You, you could not make up West Ham um, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I know, there's, there's, there's been very few like him. I guess when you, think, <laughs> you talk about that fifth place and the high, was it quite a kick in the gut when you see the likes of Rio and Frank Lampard being sold and those kind of academy gems going? Does that, does that take a hit in the changing room? No, you, you you knew it was coming. You know, I, I think that's that's a part of the game. You know, a part of the game is that when you're at a club, at, at a smaller club like West Ham, um, you have bigger clubs who, who are going to come looking for those for, for, for those talents. It's a part of the game that uh, if you're not playing well, you're going to be out and you're going to be sold. You know, so all those things, um, settling, uh, you know, or... From, from the outside, that's just kind of part of the game that 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 you accept uh, and deal with as, as as best you can. And, and you just knew you, you knew the likes of, of, of Rio and Frank in particular uh, would be moving on. And so we go we, we go to the return uh, two thousand two thousand five is that was two thousand five. I came back in two thousand five two thousand five two thousand six. The, these two would be alive by then, I think. So we, we've my first season. <laughs> yeah, I had a season. I had a season ticket for that one. So that was. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was my second season ticket. So I, I do remember those ones. What's What's that like when you get the call, either from your agent, from the club, etc., saying, "Do you want to come back?" What's that What's that feeling like? I suppose. Uh, it, it, well, it was great, and I, I need to put that in a in a greater context. So. Um, I was I was at Pompey, joined so left West Ham 2002 to go to Pompey, yeah. and as it happened, and, and this is this is one of 
a, a story um, kind of defines it. One of the directors at, at Pompey came to me and said, so, so 2005, I'm, I'm 36 years old, comes to me and says, listen to me, Alan Knight is going to be moving on. We're going to offer you the, the player coach's job, which I thought was perfect. You know, here I am, 36 years old, still playing, but no, my time is coming to an end and get to step into, as, as, as a coach, get to step into to, to doing some coaching, which, which I enjoyed. I really did, did enjoy goalkeeper coaching. And then all of a sudden, the day before the last game of the season, the Pompey manager at the time, Anna Perrin, comes to me and says, um, we, we're not going to keep you on. You, you have to look, you have to look for, for another opportunity. So now I've gone from telling my agent, don't worry to look for anything. I'm good right here. I am happy. My family was settled uh, down, down on, on, on the South Coast. Um, and all of a sudden, with a moment's notice, my, I had to tell my agent completely otherwise. And I'd gone for a few months, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm got married in 95. Come, come 2000, 2005, we have, we have four kids. Um, I'm thinking about how, do, how I provide for my family. Um, the only real interest I was getting was from lower league clubs and, and that I wasn't really interested uh, in, in, in doing. And then I got a call from Alan Pardew, just saying that um, they signed Rob Breen, but they wanted an, an older, more experienced goalkeeper just to come um, offer that experience, but at the same time, challenge for the spot. And now here I am, you know, thinking, yeah, I can give the young pup a little run for his money here. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> test him out. Um, so it was, it was a great opportunity, especially given how, Things finished. Things finished at West Ham, you know. So just to, to put the cl- put the roll the clock roll the clock back to that to that previous spell, you know, our, our one ham of the year, uh, 98-99. We I think we were still we were fifth or sixth in that second season, ninety nine two thousand. Broke my leg in February of two thousand, yeah. um, and and was out. Came back too early in the two thousand two thousand one season, and and struggled largely. Um, for, for, for this season I, I, I always tell this story our, our first game that season 2000-2001 we were away to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge I, I remember running to warm up and, my, and I'm in I'm just running and my, my ankle would just my, my ankle just gave out and I go this is I'm just running in a straight line my, and I mean if that wasn't if that wasn't a sign that I was back too early I'd, but you know Harry says you're playing and I'm, I'm playing I'm going to go I'm, I'm playing. I'm, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm playing whatever. Um, but I came back way too early. Um, struggled not just that game. I think we conceded for that game. Um, but, but struggled all, all of that season. And then Harry was, was replaced by, by Glenn Roder. And Glenn Roder brought in David James. And, and David James got injured playing for England just before the start of the season. But, but I knew. I, I, I mean, uh, Glenn Roder told me on the first day of preseason that we're signing David James. And he didn't expect me to play a game this season, given David's record, and because he'd never been injured for, for Liverpool. And then he goes and gets gets injured for, for England, and Rhoda has to come and put his arm around me, and, and now all of a sudden be be best friends. Um, so that you know, I I felt that start as it was, and as much as I I'd really enjoyed playing for West Ham that last season on the road, and everything that that happened, just. Left a bad taste anymore. Yeah, it's probably the only way I can put it. So then Alan Pardew calls in 2005 and, and asked for me to to come back. And I thought this is a great opportunity to at least play in front of these fans and enjoy my football, even though I, I'm expected to be on the bench and enjoy my football and and, and enjoy that experience in, in a way that I didn't in in, in 2001 2002. Um, and then. Um, between between Rob and I, I, I more played the cup games, the League Cup, and and and, and etc. And then uh, Rob got injured early early in January, late December, January, somewhere around there. And we went on this incredible FA Cup run. And the old cliche: you can't you can't change a, a team when it's winning. Um, and we we were very well placed that that league season too. I, I'm yes, I I have a I mean you can, you can check your record, but I I I feel as though we were up around sixth, seventh, probably around sixth for, for much of that season. The young lads, wasn't it? It's quite a young team with Nigel Rio Coca and the likes. We're, 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 we're Rio Coca, Hayden Mullins, uh, yeah. Marlon Harewood, 
Um, Anton Ferdinand was 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 was, mm-hmm. was in that team. This was a young team, first season back in the Premier League. They just just team just got promoted. I think it was the playoffs, right? They they won yeah, the playoffs yeah. mm-hmm. um, in, in two thousand and five. And and it was a young team, and 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 um, and, and Pardew stuck with it. So he needed some experience. I came, and we went on this incredible epic cup run. And as I say, I think we were we were highly placed that season. Again, maybe I, I have a feeling we're sixth. I think we we ended up this season ninth or tenth. But that was because of the epic cup run. We we started losing games towards the back end of the season because we were so focused yeah. on on this epic cup run. You know, um, uh, but you know, so I, as I say, I. I um, so I'm in the team, but you can't change. We can't bring Rob Green back in because we were just playing so well. And the team, the defense had 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 figured me out. Had they they realized that I wasn't going to come for a cross? They, they, <laughs> they, they, they realized I pretty much wasn't going to make a save. So therefore, they <laughs> they, they had to adjust the suit, and, and we kept winning. And uh, the the only the only uh, negative around that two thousand five two thousand six season, sitting up to that point for me was, I had a clause in my contract that if I played, I believe it was twenty games, but don't don't quote me on that. Somewhere around there, um, if I played twenty games, I'd be offered another year on exactly the same terms. No more money, nothing else. Exact same terms. And it wasn't wasn't an awful lot. Um, and then I, I played that twentieth game. I believe it was somewhere around the beginning of April. And my agent called the called the club up um, and said, "Jack has played his twenty games. Signed that one year extension." And the response—I can't remember who the manager director at the time was—and um, his response was, "Well, we'll have to discuss it at board level." Agent said, "No, you don't have to discuss anything at board level. It's a contract. It's, it's it's in the contract that when he plays twenty games, he gets another year, and and on 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 the exact same terms. We weren't asking for anything else. The exact same terms, and they insisted that well, we have to discuss this at board level, and that just kept rolling, and that just kept happening, and and they kept kicking that can down the street, and, and I couldn't understand it because again, it, it was in the contract. It, it's not." Wasn't a gentleman's handshake. It was. It was right there in black and white. Um, and then before, and then the FA Cup run continued. And before the end of the season, Alan Knight, who was an Portsmouth goalkeeper and coach, um, he was now the goalkeeper coach at FC Dallas in in Major League Soccer in in the US. He called and said, "How would you like to move to Dallas?" And my wife and I, we were giving some thought to to moving back this side of the Atlantic with, with what whatever. You know where where that would be. My wife is also from from Toronto, Tobago. For for those who don't know, and we were given a lot of thought to to, to moving back. And um, and so I I, I you know what, given West Ham's frustrations with me, um, over over this over this new contract, I think I'm going to take it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to take this and 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 for family reasons, move this way. And and uh, I mean. Uh, uh, the, the the deal at FC Dallas was for twenty five percent of the money that I was on or, or should be on at West Ham. And was only and, and strangely, after the FA Cup final, the managing director comes to me and says we're gonna sort that contract out. But at this point, I am I I have endured this for just short of two months. Um I've been, I've endured this frustration for, for for seven weeks. And you know, again, just given my experience with Portsmouth. And and how unnerving that was, as, as a provider for for my young family, yeah. I I just grew really frustrated. And in the end, I I just committed to Dallas. I was just like, you know what, Dallas, they were offering me um, a, a year and a half. That would take me to thirty eight years old. I'd be this side of the Atlantic. Um, my wife has family, or I have family also in, in in the US. Let me let me just make that move. Um, and and in the end, moved move to Dallas for, as I say, a fraction of the money and, and turn turn West Ham's contract down. Um, that that FA Cup final as well, two thousand and six, also led straight into the World Cup in two thousand and six for for Trinidad and Tobago. So um, there there was a lot for me to, to, to celebrate, but also it, it had had its, its disappointments. Sadly, not the first story of a kind of West Ham player who's not quite been done right by the club. Uh, I was thinking at that time, that must be with the goalkeeper injury. You must be kind of in competition for the shirt with, with Jimmy Walker. 
Yeah, yeah, that's who, right. Who, if, I, if you think, they always say goalkeepers have to be a bit mad, don't they? In my head, Jimmy Walker kind of epitomizes that. Yeah, J- Jimmy Walker made up. Jimmy Walker made up for all the goalkeepers that who weren't mad. <laughs> so if there if there's ever been a goalkeeper who's not mad, Jimmy Walker picked up this slack. <laughs> I am honestly delighted, delighted to hear that. Um, <laughs> I, I can't go on without without talking about the cup final. Then and it's, it's something I, I mean, in my life, I've tried to skirt around as if it never happened. I'd yeah. say for two years, I pretended that Gerard goal didn't happen. I turned off the TV when it when it came on. Um, yeah, it, it was arguably kind of the one of the great, one of the better cup finals of all time. And it must be amazing to play in an FA Cup final as a footballer. But bitter, mm-hmm. bitter sweet, mem- bitter, bitter sweet memories as well. I guess. Yeah. That- yeah, listen, I, I grew up watching watching a program called The Road to Wembley, which is largely around um largely around the, the, the FA Cup. And this was back in the day of black and white TVs. Uh, you, I, you were read, mentioning earlier, Chris. Um <laughs> uh, so so the FA Cup always had a special place for me in, in my own kind of footballing uh education. Um and then uh and then the two thousand and six uh FA Cup final, which as it turned out, was my last game in English football. And that started so well. You know, things were things were, were, were going so well uh against Liverpool. Um and 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 it, it just I remember CC scoring just before half time and then Steven Gerrard equalizing and it, it was it, it was it was difficult to to you know, come the finish, you know. Um Gerard scoring in, in the very last minute um to, to, to equalize so, so later on uh, was was a really painful pill to swallow, right? For for those who may not remember the game, um Gerard went down when actually went down injured. Honestly, Shaq, um, I wish I could forget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all did. Steve Gerrard went, went down injured and, and it was Lionel Scaloni who was on loan, current Argentina manager, who was on loan and playing right back, put the ball out and, you know, the old, you don't just put the ball out right there. You know, you, you kick it way up the field and, and let it go out way up the field. Um, they took me through in, they pressed us, we, they, we cleared the ball and it just falls to Steve Gerrard who is in acres of room because he he was injured, he was on the floor moments earlier, you know, and and, and nobody picked him up. Uh, and then uh, and then we go into injury time. Marlon Hayward gets injured. Uh, he was on one leg, makes, wasn't he? He was he was on one leg. Pepperina makes a couple of incredible saves, and a rebound falls to Marlon Hayward. Uh, uh, for what? Or, or, or any any other players are tapping, but we'd made three substitutes. Marlon Hayward literally could not walk oh. um, and, and just had to swing a leg at it and, and didn't make great connection. Uh, and that chance, that chance went. And I think that just kind of summed up um, yeah. the bad luck that West Ham had that day. I, and sometimes you just have to see, it, it was written in the cards, you know, that, that, it, that fate would, well, of course, depending on, on who you supported, mm-hmm. that, that, would 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 be that cruel to 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 West Ham or that kind to, to Liverpool? It, uh, it was in my memory. He, he he had to lift his own leg with his arms, and I don't think that's yeah. physically what happened. But it's that kind. Yeah. Of, he was really. It, it, it wasn't, it, it, strike, it wasn't was far it? off that. It, it no. really wasn't far off that. And and you know, I, I'm desperately sorry for Marlon Hayward because I know how bad it was. I I knew how he was in the dressing room, and. To, to maybe a fan seeing it, you're thinking, well, just you're a professional footballer, just throw it. I knew, I knew how bad, bad he was. And it, it was heartbreaking for, for Marlon because he's also saying to himself, well, if I could have just done this, but he couldn't, he couldn't. Um, and it, it just, the, the chance went. But I, I think that that in particular was, was harder for Marlon than it was for, for anybody else. And, and my, heart, my heart, to this day, breaks for it. It really does. Is that, I mean, it's, it's worth noting, you did save a penalty in the penalty shootout. So maybe maybe your, your problem with that defence was you, you kept making them do things for you. And actually, you're probably <laughs> happy if you did have a defence in front of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I needed a defender. That, that, that's where it went wrong. We just had a defender in goal for the penalty. Yeah. <laughs> they were saving things all season long. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you've got Stephen Gerrard. That's unfair. So we're gonna have a defender with me and go. That's that's not <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Oh, it, it, it must be one of those. I mean, if you look back, I guess there's immense pride with the run and just, I mean, it is a, it is the kind of, you don't go into that game and afterwards and think, well, thank God I got to play in a cup final. But as time goes on, I guess you get, you get that could have, that could have never happened at all. I suppose. Yeah. 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 I listen, I, you know, I, I'm often asked about regrets around, you know, any regrets in my career. And, and I, I, I always say none, you know, like, the, the, the truth is, I, I lived a boyhood dream. You know, I grew up kind of, I grew up dreaming of playing an Africa final, but never really expected that that I ever would. Um, and to have played for as long as I did, to have represented the club that I did, to appear in an Africa final, or not, albeit not not at Wembley at, at Millennium Stadium, um, it, it's things that I never ever thought I'd, I'd be able to achieve and and so I look back on the experience despite the disappointments with an, an immense sense, sense of pride an immense sense of accomplishment yeah um what, what a run that was I mean I've I've got to say a huge thank you for coming on to join us Shaka obviously so, so such important things we were speaking about for 40 minutes that you know as much as we love to talk West Ham there was a, the important thing and we have Absolutely. to get the message across and that's again that's this Saturday in London uh, London W1A for the postcards. <laughs> postcode stuck in my head. I know all the things to remember. Uh, it's just I'll have that with me for days now. Um, but yes, from from all of us, from here, and I mean personally on a personal level as well. Thank you ever so much for spending the time with us and giving the time to us this evening. Thank yeah. you very much. I, I really enjoyed it. And good luck on the march on Saturday. I I, I I can't applaud you all enough. I think it's important that. Well, we stand shoulder to shoulder uh, in that march. And then you, we can go into the stadium and, and you know, poke fun and, and jeer at each other. But that's that's not what the big picture is about. And, and um, I, I'm sure all will go well. Take lasagna. Somebody walk in. <laughs> <laughs> Take it both days. Just again, if we start off on Saturday, we might catch them out again. Uh, I'm, sure I'm sure that's what they'll say regardless. Um, yes, so, I mean, that's all we've got time for here uh, from us. And for all, thank you and good night. Right, so we're here in the offices of a late, late show with the host of a late, late show, James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> and big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it, yeah. yeah. It's great. Yes, it's Find excitement them. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it that's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at KUMB.com. Come on you irons. <laughs> <laughs>